Welcome to Keep Going, a podcast about failure and success, hosted by John Biggs. Every week, we talk to an amazing person about a time they failed and what they learned. And remember, when you're going through hell, keep going. Welcome back to Keep Going. This is a podcast about success and failure. And uh, and my favorite success, uh, we're gonna is gonna join us now, Joel Johnson. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. I, what, what you say I'm a success, but what what why am I success to you? Why are you success? Because you because you survived for so long. I've known I've known you for multiple years. Uh, we worked at uh, Gizmodo together. Then you uh, then you did a number of things in the interim. Uh, but you've always you've always been very uh, down to earth and chipper. And well, not chipper. Let's say, down to earth, <laughs> and uh, and and a uh, and a wise counsel, I guess you could say. So I'm glad that we can talk to you about the horrible things that happened to you and how you fixed them. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wisdom is very uh, uh, has to be very calibrated against uh, what the current reality is. But uh, no, I appreciate that. I try to keep my feet on the ground, uh, even though I make a lot of mistakes. All right. So again, the the premise of the show is that it, something horrible happened, and here's how you fixed it. So why don't we why don't we just jump right in uh, to what happened? You're 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 obviously a media guy. You're a uh, you're a writer. Uh, you're doing a little bit of I guess you could call it PR now. Uh, but we're gonna, you're going to take us back a, a couple decades, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, just because I like to keep the streams very clear, like I do media strategy now. And basically work in, in marketing and advertising. Uh, and so I don't call myself a journalist or anything, although mm -hmm. I started my career. Uh, I actually started my career uh, as like an engineer and was pretty bad at it, uh, probably in large part because I it, late in life realized that all those counselors when I was a, a teenager saying that I had ADHD were probably right. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, certain disciplines like uh, sitting in front of a terminal or in a rack uh, for uh, 16 hours, and I wasn't really happy with those uh, experiences were bad for me. But, uh, you know, that turned into uh, almost on a lark, uh, being one of the first paid professional full-time bloggers uh, at Gizmodo, uh, where my ADHD you could, you could, served me very well. Yeah, but you could argue that we were probably one of the first professional paid bloggers, period. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. I think uh, I when I started, uh, you know, it was still like nascent enough that I was getting paid per post. I think it was like eight bucks a post. Mm -hmm. And so I was knocking out 30 or 40 <laughs> posts a day. Uh, but in a very short amount of time, uh, you know, Gizmodo, I think when I inherited it from Pete Rojas, who had uh, founded it, uh, I think it was doing something like a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand uniques a day. Uh, you know, don't quote me on that. Like I, I, I almost twenty or eighteen years ago when I took over. Uh, but you know, it was it was growing, and and Pete had done a, a great job and kind of pioneered the format. And then I showed up and uh, was in the right place at the right time to a great extent. Although I will say, you know, the big legacy for what it's you know with giant air quotes around legacy that I think I introduced was the fact that I could bring a voiciness and humor and, and, mm -hmm. and rage even sometimes, uh, to tech blogging and to tech coverage that I don't think anybody had ever done before. And so being in the right format 
at the right time. And then with the business taking off enough that I could actually, they could afford to pay me full time. You know, by the time uh, I left Gizmodo as the solo editor, because back in these days, you know, blogs inherently were from one person in one voice, right? Like mm-hmm. they weren't just publications. They were, they were still diaries or, and, and, you know, journals just as much as anything. And, uh, you know, from my start, when I took over Gizmodo until when I had basically a nervous breakdown about 18 months in, uh, I think we were up over a million uniques a day and it just mm-hmm. had kept growing and growing. And so, uh, you know, to talk about big mistakes and big failures, that was kind of a jumping off point uh, for me where I really started to learn some hard lessons about notoriety, fame, uh, what people actually are coming to read you for, why people Mm -hmm. like you, why people say they like you versus what it actually is that they like you. But to give you a little context uh, about the mistake. So, you know, uh, Gawker Media had sort of pioneered the the format very quickly. Things like Weblogs Inc., uh, TechCrunch, some other places had, had started, you know, showing up. Uh, right behind some of them that were, were run as much better as businesses as well. And around that same time, there was a company that had been started called Federated Media. Mm-hmm. And so Federated Media uh, was uh, founded by John Battelle. There may have been a couple of other people involved and uh, heavily involved Boing Boing, which at the time, like Boing Boing had already sort of plateaued in its growth, but, you know, had been the big, the only big group blog of the, you know, early 2000s and was, and, uh, you know, had never quite commercialized in a, in a real way, both by choice and by, uh, and I know the Boingers well, and I love them. So when I say by choice and by ineptitude at business, like, I don't think they would, (laughs) I don't think they would disagree with me. Um, and so, uh, you know, the promise at that time from Federated Media was, how do we how do we maintain the independence of all of these individual publications while still creating businesses around them? And so it was we're going to gather together a bunch of uh, people to provide the business infrastructure, you know, billing, publicity, tech, all of that stuff for a bunch of different bloggers, and and frankly, just to be able to have enough traffic gathered together to have enough audience size to sell against uh, to bigger clients. And, you know, I want to also remind everyone uh, that 18, 15 years ago, whenever this might have been, like, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, big advertisers were just treating blogs like another place to put ads mm-hmm. just like they do today. You know, we had to really convince a lot of companies that had the big budget spends that this was a safe place to do uh, to put their ads. Because, you know, we're saying fuck and calling out, uh, (laughs) like saying this is an awful, this is an awful product. And, you know, it was just a lot more aggressive than they'd ever, ever been used to. But the idea behind Federated was, well, if you bring enough blogs together and you have millions and millions of uniques and page views to sell every day, then you can build a network and there's some shared ownership, yada, yada. So at the time when I was leaving Gizmodo and, and, and basically, I think the order of operations was... I literally had a, I mean, I, not clinically, I don't know if I could say it was a nervous breakdown, but I, I just, 
I worked my ass off for 18 months. I, 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 no joke was like 12 to 18 hour days. Like Gizmodo was all I did with my life. Mm-hmm. And I, and I established a career. I started to make some good money and I was getting attention and notoriety that I honestly like really didn't have a, like it didn't, it didn't mess with me too much. Like I felt like I was handling it pretty well. So I went from like a complete nobody uh, to, you know, being on the nightly news as a talking head and, you know, being asked to write Mm -hmm. uh, things for magazines and, uh, you know, having tons of people constantly come to me saying, hey, this Gizmodo website's really going great, but you need to go do one that's that you own because nobody at Gawker had any ownership over their Mm -hmm. own brands. And I... By the time I got 18 months in was like, I don't know that I ever want to write about gadgets or technology again. Uh, I uh, like there's so many people knocking on my door and have so much opportunity that like even if I take a risk, there's going to be more opportunity there. And I'll skip to I'll spoil my own story and skip to the end. It turns out that wasn't necessarily <laughs> uh, the case. So the mistake that I made was that when Several people at at the time had come to me and said, you should go start another gadget blog at the time. And gadget had already started. uh, You know, there, there was a bunch of of gadget blogs showing up because tech is, you know, one of the most popular categories on in, in content. It was the money was relatively easy compared to other topics. And I, uh, when Federated reached out to me and said, would you do a gadget blog for a new one uh, with Federated and here's how we would support you. I said, uh, I won't (laughs) because I've been doing uh, like gadget and tech content for the better part of two years and I'm just burnt out on it. But you know what there isn't is an analog for men's magazines Mm -hmm. in blogdom. I was like, GQ, I'm out here. Like, you know, I'm of course like I'm reading at the time as a man in his middle twenties, like had moved to New York recently. I'm like reading old Esquires and I'm, you know, reading GQ. I had broken up with my girlfriend of many years. And so I'm like back on the dating scene. I'm like, how do I dress? Like, you know, I, it was that time. It was also the time in just culture where it was like mm-hmm. men with beards and leather and let's get back to the old ways. Even though the old ways were like, let's get back to the old ways that were an echo of, a reality of the fifties that were an echo of the 1920s. Like none of it was ever real, but it seemed like there was a moment to be able to say, I can create a blog that will be for men and it will be like, you know, more feminist, like more, not, not so antagonistic, but, and, and maybe even a little nerdier and more inclusive just about like styles and not be so prescriptive and a little more inclusive. Um, and so I started that and in Dethroner, which was the the name of the the blog, uh, I got a tiny bit of money uh, from Federated to to bootstrap it. They basically guaranteed payments. It's, it's a lot like Substack is, you know, the last couple of years where it was mm-hmm. like, you know, I think at the time they were like, we'll pay you 10 grand a month uh, guaranteed for like three months. And then, you know, you can you can see where it'll go. I had so many other options at the time. Like Google, Apple, all sorts of places, like startups, some of which have gone well, some of which that haven't. The opportunity to take over blog networks that were already existing with big equity cuts, all sorts of stuff. But in my head, I 
was like, I have to do something that's independent. I have to do something that's wholly new. I have to do something that uh, nobody's ever done before because I want to prove that like I'm more than just a gadget blogger, that I'm I'm good at lots of different things. Mm-hmm. I might basically have peaked as a gadget blogger. <laughs> like, <laughs> it very could be that the best match for my skill set, interest, and ability uh, and enthusiasm is just gadget blogging. And I've never said this out loud, maybe even, but if I'm perfectly honest, at 44 now, which is how old I am, mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, the the thing I, the, the moment, the thing I miss the most sometimes is just gadget blogging, not tech reporting and breaking hard news, which I have done, uh, not, you know, pub- working and publishing and building these big media strategies for Fortune 500 companies, which is what I've been doing for the last decade. What I miss a lot is like just sitting in front of a CMS and writing my jokes and opinions Mm -hmm. about some new piece of tech. Like I think in some ways that was and will be the happiest I have ever been. And I think part of it is that I had a, a group of people that were cheering me on every day. So, you know, towards the end of Gizmodo, we didn't even have comments on the blog at that point. That was something I fought for at Gawker, uh, funnily enough. When it, speaking of failures and things I regret, <laughs> like, <laughs> like realizing, you know, five years later after I had really argued that comments were essential to the future of <laughs> blogging and then five years later being like, oh, no, we should definitely get rid of comments. Uh, but I every single day I was getting emails from people that were like, I'd put up a blog post. Ten minutes later, I'd get. 25 emails from people being like, that was really funny. That was really good. Hey, I really like this. Did you check this out? Like, this is great. This is pre Twitter. This is pre, you know, uh, like building your own kind of reputation in some way that you can, I don't know if it's pre influencer culture, there just weren't worth the tools. And so in my head, I was like, well, if there's a million people reading me every day, and I'm getting hundreds or dozens, probably more realistically, of like of fan mail effectively every day. I can go out and start something. And I think in my head, I was like, I bet you I can bring 10% of that audience with me to my Over new to the thing. other site. Okay. Yeah. That was not the case at all. And I learned two really hard lessons from that. The first is that. My voice, my opinion, whatever you want to call it, in tech was unique, but that voice maybe wasn't as unique outside of tech. So without the contrast of like, you know, this is the era of, you know, Walt Mossberg was king, like, like just very straight ahead and tech news, especially electronics and gadget news was always relegated over into this little corner for, for nerds. Um, and not like, you know, it's just pre iPhone. So of course, like people aren't thinking of these as like billion dollar businesses. And, you know, that was a, that was one big lesson, which was like, Oh, maybe I'm best when I'm working in contrast to an established set of, voices in an established industry. And then the other one was, uh, there is probably a one-to-one correlation 
between the people that emailed me and said, hey, I'm a fan and I like what you do and the number of actual fans I had, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I, I, I even speaking of comments, there was always a thing back in the day that would crack me up where I would see people in comments on blogs go, you know, I'm saying this and I, I, I represent the thousands of readers who think this as well. And in the back of my head, because I had learned this lesson uh, by presuming that one fan represented a thousand silent fans, I knew very much that it was like, you might represent two people if you're lucky, <laughs> but you probably don't represent as many people as you do. And certainly not in a way that it justifies the stridency in which you were telling me to go kill myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I went and started Dethroner, it turned out there wasn't that big of an audience for the kind of content that I wanted to write. That well, there was, was huge... but it was over at Esquire, right? Well, right. I think that's a huge part of it, right? Like people, uh, people were maybe interested in that content, but they weren't interested in it from me. They wanted it to be a little shinier and glossier. And I was a little bit more, I don't know, bloggier still, you know, it's like mm -hmm. putting pictures of myself up going like, does it, you know, is this a good outfit or not? Like, do I look stupid or not? And, you know, all things that work from a content format, but, you know, it turns out a, a, a 22 year old fresh out of college man is not looking for a 26 year olds nerds uh, trying to figure out how to dress himself opinion about fashion and, uh, and, and all the other things. It wasn't just about fashion. And, uh, and I also came to realize that I, there wasn't enough news for me to write. The only way that I was going to grow this site and to, and to get it to go somewhere was that I was going to have to do the same thing that I did at Gizmodo that drove me insane, which was to sit in front of a computer for 18 hours a day and write 30 to 40 blog posts. Mm -hmm. And I knew that launching that website, that launching Dethroner was a mistake probably a month in. Like mm -hmm. I could tell almost immediately. And it started, unfortunately, a pattern for me that if I'm honest, I think I've <laughs> kind of stuck to to this day, which is I'm still really good with ideas and I have good, I have, I mean, ideas are easy for everyone in theory, but like, I think I'm, I think I'm better than most at going like, Hey, this is the reality of like what, what this could be and what it couldn't be. But it also made me realize it kind of, it kind of put the fear in me in a way that I haven't totally shook, uh, even, you know, 15 years later now, which is if this thing doesn't hit immediately, I need to abandon it immediately mm -hmm. because, and I, and I don't, I, I think it's partially irrational, but I think there's also some wisdom there too, which is it's so easy to test and know if something's going to happen now. And, uh, if you're not getting strong signals quickly, you better really, really believe in the idea that you're going to have or uh, just go try something else, like throw it away. So to put a button on the dethroner story, I made a couple of other really classic mistakes, which was uh, I immediately hired some people to help me write uh, because I didn't want to have to write 30 posts a day, uh, which meant my monthly burn was instantly like <laughs> really high. Um, 
I also, you know, it turned out a lot of stuff with Federated Media wasn't totally on the up and up. And a lot of the promises they had made about the money they were going to be able to generate wasn't true. This was at a time they effectively wanted us to do branded posts. And this is like pre-BuzzFeed. So the idea of doing sponsored content was anathema to any blogger. Um, and, you know, the, the, the big lesson that I ended up learning from that, and it took another probably 10 years for me to really metabolize it and start to make life decisions off of it differently is that reputation is useful. Sure. And like fame and notoriety and having, having uh, a group of fans to support you, like it's really good. And I don't want to denigrate people that have built careers off of fandom because usually, honestly, those people are more talented or doing something harder than I ever did. I basically just made dick jokes about gadgets on the internet and that's, and people liked it. And that was that, but it also made me realize that the double-edged sword of, of, of calibrating your decisions off of what fans are telling you is that you, you can also never argue strangers, what strangers are telling you, right? That's right. Yeah. Like people that don't really have your best interest in mind. And I will tell you the corollary to that, that was even harder for me to learn. And it's a story for another time. But a few years later is realizing even a lot of my colleagues and friends and peers don't have my best interest in mind, especially financially. And so that, that process for me, you know, of launching something when I had, I had the, I had so many options available to me. I could have done, people were asking me to host TV shows. I could have, you know, made a run to being editor in chief of a magazine. I could have like gone to work in house at a big tech company and pulled a bunch of stock and options in that would probably make me retired now. And, and what I didn't have at the time was uh, people that I could trust, uh, mentors, counselors that could really help me look at everything and say, what's going to be best for you financially and the best for your career and like what kind of career are you trying to build and that ended up you know leading to uh, several years later an insight which was you may hate money and i hate money like i hate the way capitalism is structured and i hate the having to be if i'm honest submissive to other people to get the money but what i also realized through all of that is a really painful lesson is that human nature is effectively that even when people are helping you to grow a business or to do something, if they're not incentivized to make more money when you make more money, they're probably not really going to help you when things get hard. As soon as it looks like you're not easy money or fun, like they're probably going to walk away from you. And uh, it's taken me a while to... And, and you know what's funny? I have a lot of regrets in my career. I don't really regret the dethroner moment at all because I do think that ultimately I learned a lot from that and it did help me realize it was a good like ego check that I needed early. And I think it's very possible I could have turned into a real, a bigger shit heel if I wouldn't have had that <laughs> well, experience. If you think about it, you got exactly what you wanted. You got exactly what you were dreaming of. Exactly, and uh, and you learned fairly quickly that it that it, it wasn't it wasn't exactly what you wanted. Or yeah, it, or the, it turns the world out wasn't there to support you. 
it turns out that uh that like not man how to say this it turns out that being loved for one part of what you do or one thing that you express to the world is way better than thinking that the world loves all of you. Does that make sense? Like, I think it does. I, it's early blogging. What I was doing was like being a stand up comic. Mm -hmm. I was standing up in front of the internet and typing jokes into a thing and hitting send. And that's what I was doing, but they weren't coming for the stories of my life or other, you know, how I felt about fashion or any of those other things. And at the time I needed it to be all about me. And I thought it was all about me. And when I got the lesson that like, actually, we just want you to stand there and make jokes. Uh, and I know lots of, I've heard lots of people have problems with the same thing. Like lots of people that have been in the public eye, uh, I, it was extremely humbling and sad. It made me really sad. I wanted them to love all of me with all of my <laughs> failures and all of my foibles, but it was such a good thing to learn early, which is like, they, they don't love you. They love your work. Mm -hmm. And if you don't keep making more work, like you can't expect the same result. And you know, I think if I was a different person in a different time, I probably would have risen to the occasion and, you know, started. I, I, the next thing I would have done is go start a gadget blog <laughs> and uh, probably made a ton of money and it probably would have made a lot of sense. But I did another thing that was maybe not the best, but I still don't feel too bad, which is like, oh, I need to get myself out of this trap and go learn skills that are different that maybe. Uh, I can still make money with and still have some sort of personal professional reward. But if I keep chasing uh, fame as the center of my work, that's not actually going to motivate me to do the work. Okay. So I was, I was thinking to myself as you were, as you were talking, like, how do we, how do we equate this? How do, how do we, how do we explain this to, Somebody who isn't in your position, but I would argue that there's there's plenty of people in your position right now, especially given all the influencer culture, all the all the uh, TikTok slash uh, what you call it, Twitch slash YouTube folks who are all literally in the same position that that you could say we were uh, way back when. And for them to hear this, I think this is going to be pretty vital. So I think I think I think you <laughs> well, I'm sure I sure millions of uh, Twitch streamers and influencers are going to be like reaching out, but I I. I, I think that all the time. I worked at Twitch for a short amount of time mm -hmm. and uh, would talk to some streamers. And I don't think they listened to me because like, why would they listen to a middle-aged man? Like, But I had such empathy for it because I do feel like mm -hmm. uh, the experience that, that those of us that worked in early blogging went through, including the, 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 the rise but the fall uh, in a personal level, uh, is, you know, it's the same, it's the same thing when, when people, when people are talking about like, uh, teens, like having teen depression being endemic rampant because of social media. Like I look at that and I go, oh yeah. Like, like I, I know exactly what that is at, at both the small scale and the large scale. Um, 
And I do think that, you know, if I, not to get super grandpa, grandpa vibes, but I do think, you know, to go back to that lesson, which is like, make it about the work and, and be real careful if you're making it about you, because, uh, people will tell you that they love you because of you. Random strangers, fans will tell you that, but that stuff is not real. Like they make it about your work. And if you know the distinction between the work that you're putting out to the world versus what part of you you're putting out to the world, I think you can come out of the other side a lot happier. And also go get all the money as quickly as possible because it possible. may not stick around forever. <laughs> Joel Johnson, uh, super genius as it were. Uh, I appreciate this. This has been a, uh, this has been a good story. I really like to, I like, I like, I, I feel like, I feel like I lived a lot of this stuff and I, and I, you know, but I didn't hear a lot of the stuff that you were going through at the Throner. So, uh, it's even nicer to hear about it. Uh, the, uh, horse's mouth. No, thank you for letting me talk about it. It's my favorite subject. Me. <laughs> Joel Johnson, uh, egotist, uh, <laughs> writer, creator, marketer, and all around good guy. Uh, this has been keep going. I'm John Biggs. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Keep Going. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And remember, when you're going through hell, keep going. Where the soul